I hope that you have had a very Merry Christmas, and I hope that you are on your way to a Happy New Year. Uh, it, is, it is here, and it is almost over, isn't it? Everybody doing okay? I, I feel like we might should do calisthenics today. You know what I mean? It feels like that kind of week. Um, the image that comes to my mind is like, how do you feel? I feel like a turducken. Anybody remember turduckens? It was like a turkey stuffed with a chicken stuffed with a duck. It's kind of what we feel like in these weeks, like we eat a little bit more than normal even because we're celebrating and, and just having the feast together. And then the temperature drops to two degrees, and so now we're frozen turduckens. That's kind of what it, it's just stuffed and frozen. But uh, I hope that it's been good for you. I really do. I hope it's been a good time. It is the end. This is it. This is the last day of 2017. Where in the world did that go? But it's also the end in terms of we have been in a study together where we've taken this last month of the year to look at the end in terms of what the Bible says about the end of the world. And we're going to wrap it up today. I, I hope that this series has been more encouraging than discouraging. I think sometimes people study the end and they get discouraged, and I'm not really sure why that would be. I, I hope that this has prepared you more than it scared you. Because I don't think it, the point of it is, is not to scare you, it's to make you ready. And, and then I, I hope that it's clarified some things instead of confusing things for you. However, it's okay to admit, to acknowledge that there are things in eschatology, which is just a big word that means the study of the end, there are things in eschatology that are difficult sometimes to interpret with certainty. It really is. And we've tried to navigate through it. But I kind of see this whole thing kind of like pre-calculus. Anybody remember pre-calculus? Some of y'all just went into a panic attack, right? Maybe it was in high school, maybe it was in college, whatever it is, but you had to take pre-calc. And do you remember when they passed out the books and you opened your book and you closed it back and you thought, I think I have the teacher's edition. Because what's in the back? The answers. The answers are in the back. You open the book, and, and for most of those, those like pre-calc books, the answers are in the back of the book, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a great year. But once the class starts, you find out why they can put the answers in the back of the book. It's because pre-calculus is not just about the answers. It's about what? Showing your work. It's about how you arrive at those answers that you can find at the end of the book. I want you to think about it this way. What, we are, what we've been walking through and the things you understand and the things you don't understand, Jesus, Jesus said that love is not a feeling, it's, an, it's, it's a choice, it's, it's, a, it's a decision that you make, right? It's not something you fall into or fall out of. Love is a decision to act. And Jesus said, when it all comes down to it, when you wrap this whole thing up, Jesus, what's most important in everything that we know? He said, love God and what? Love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. And so this is the way I want to frame it for you. When you study the things of the end, and maybe you walk away feeling, man, I just don't know if I have the right answers. I don't know if I'm understanding all this right. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. 
Keep working out the problem. Keep showing your work. How do you do that? You love God, you love your neighbor, and I'm promising you that the answers about the end are going to be clear to you eventually. For those of us who feel like we study the end and we got the answers, it's like, I think I got this. I think I know how this fits together. I'm not convinced we really know as much as we think we do, but it's like, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain. I think I understand this. I'm reminding you, it's not enough just to have the answers. You are called to show your work. And the way you show your work is to love God and to love your neighbor. In other words, what we learn about the end is supposed to affect how we live. We're going to be in Revelation for most of today, but I want to start with a little verse in Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Look at what the Bible says. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Is that good news? Yes, it is. If we were not frozen turduckens today, we would be shouting at this moment. We would, because that's the best news in the whole world. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly, godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed what? Hope. What is the blessed hope? It is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. He says, look, the hope that we have is how this thing ends. Jesus is going to return. And the fact of that affects how we live. It should make us say no to certain things of this world that we know draws our heart away from God. It should make us say yes to those things that pulls our heart toward him. This hope that we have changes not only our forever, but how we live now. There was a book written several, several years ago by a guy named Jim Collins. It was called Good to Great. It was like a leadership, it was like an organization leadership kind of book. And in that book, there was an interview of an admiral. Admiral Stockdale was his name. He was an officer and appealed, uh, he was a prisoner of war of Vietnam War. And I think he was tortured some 20 times over, I think, like eight years. And the question is raised to him, how did you make it through that? And his answer went something like this. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Parts of what he said, I, I, I knew I would get out and that experience would be the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. But then he was asked, well, what about the people who didn't make it out with you? What about the people who didn't survive? And this is how he answered it. The admiral said, they were the optimist. They said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas came and went. They said, we're going to be out by Easter. And then Easter came and went. 
They said we're going to be out by Thanksgiving, and then Thanksgiving came and went, and then Easter rolled back around, it, or Christmas rolled back around. It never happened, and they died of a broken heart. I find that interesting when I hear what Jesus tells us about understanding the end. Because what he clearly says is that we don't get to know the exact date, do we? And I think it's because that's not helpful. That's not helpful, right? Christmas comes and it goes, and Easter comes and it goes, and Thanksgiving comes and it goes. He's like, you don't get to know the exact date because that kind of hope that does not do you any good. But what we do have is we have hope in terms of we've got faith in the end of the story. We know how this ends. Jesus wins. And when we're with him, we win too. We got hope. We got hope. And today, I want to do my best to try to frame for you a little bit. What does that mean? What are we hoping for? What what do we have hope in when we think about the end? And for those of us who have entrusted our lives to Jesus, where we're going to end up, he calls that hope. Well, what does that mean? What is involved in that? A few words that I want to give you today. The first one is the word resurrection. Resurrection. Now, when you see or hear that word, most of the time, the, what we think about is Jesus' resurrection. As you should. Because there's nothing bigger, right? Right? There is, there is nothing more important than that without Jesus' resurrection from the dead, then we don't have any hope. But what I've come to share with you today is that because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it has huge implications for you and me. Let me start to show you what I mean. Let's go to the book of Revelation, and we're going to be mostly in those last chapters. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And let me read what the text says. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Everybody say new. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Everybody say new. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything, come on together, what's the word? New. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Resurrection. 
There will be a day when all of this old world, this old system as he describes it, will pass away. And he makes everything new. And for those of us who have entrusted our life to Jesus, for those of us who have come to believe he really is the son of God who who died for us, who was raised for us. He is the one that we were made to love and to know and to be with. When we entrust our lives to him, we have hope of resurrection. And here's what I mean by that. We have hope of a resurrected life. A resurrected life. Old life we know now, Right? We put our trust in Jesus. Old life is, is dead. We are now spiritually alive. The, the Bible says that this, this resurrected life, it's eternal even now because Jesus lives within us. He is the eternal. He, he lives within us. But we are also looking with hope toward a day when this resurrected life will mean no more sin. No more sin, which then will mean no more death, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no no more crying, no more pain. We look forward to this new life, resurrected life. But along with that, the Bible says we look forward to a resurrected body, a resurrected body, a body that is fitted for a resurrected life. A body that is fitted, we would say, for heaven. A body that, that when we get this next one, it, it's not going to die, right? It, it, therefore, it doesn't break down, right? A, a body that will not droop. Woohoo! A body that will not quit. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But the picture, what we've learned in the timeline... Right, the timeline of, of somewhere in that last seven of Daniel. Maybe it's at the beginning, maybe it's at the middle, but Jesus is going to come for his church. And when the dead in Christ are raised, and we who are still alive meet him in the air, a part of that whole process is he says, we receive new bodies that are fitted for the hope that we have for eternity. So a resurrected life in a resurrected body, this part's really cool, with a resurrected Christ, all right? And we go, oh, of course, no. Can I tell you, that's gonna be the biggest deal of all. When when we get there, we're so gonna understand that the greatest thing about heaven is not what the streets are made of. I mean, I think it's absolutely amazing that, there, that, that we got gold streets. That's pretty cool. All that has to do with the greatness of God. But I'm telling you, once you realize being with Jesus, you, won't, you wouldn't care if they're made out of gravel. Just being with him, the resurrected Christ, the one who rose from the dead, he is going to be with us. A resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ in a resurrected world. 
a resurrected world. And that's what we're getting the picture of in this text at the end of Revelation. It says a new heaven and a new earth. And a part of that is a new Jerusalem, a a new holy city. I, I believe that is when Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. And more than once at the end of Revelation, John has this picture of this new Jerusalem, this holy city that's coming down. So he's prepared it, and then all of a sudden, it's this picture of coming down and somehow seems to connect a a, a new city with this new earth. The more I study it, the more I I believe, I think we're going to be able to to be able to move between all of those pieces. I think we're going to be able to experience the new Jerusalem. I think we're going to know what what this new earth is all about. How much fun could that be? How much fun could that be to be able to begin to explore and and, and to be able to move through those things that God has prepared for our eternity and in the process, no more pain and no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more death. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. Let's skip to Revelation 22 and let me read a few verses and then we'll come back to, to 21. Revelation 22 verse 1. It's more about the city. Then the angel showed me the river. Okay, if I were if I were marking in my Bible, I would I would like river. I I would I would highlight that somehow. Showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. If I were marking in my Bible, I would, I would like highlight that tree, tree of life. We got river and we got tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be any curse. I'd highlight that. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. I'd probably highlight and circle that one. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, my question is, Does that sound like anything you've ever heard of before? Let me review. A river that runs through the middle. A tree of life. No curse of sin. With God face to face. Reigning forever. Does that sound familiar at all? The answer should be the garden. Like the very first chapters of the Bible, you you read about the garden. You read about what it was like for Adam and Eve to be in the presence of God in this this perfect place in the rivers that ran through and in the tree of life that was there, right? It's like the garden. And the fact that it says we, we will reign forever, that speaks of a role. It speaks of a responsibility 
just like Adam had in the garden. God gave him responsibility, just like God oversaw and he managed. So was Adam given those things. Listen to me, I'm trying to convince you of this. You are not going to be bored in heaven. You're not going to be bored there. And he says, God, God lights up the place. He gives light to it all. He powers it all. To better understand maybe this, this word of resurrection, and I promise the others won't take as long, maybe we could look at one of the four aspects of, of resurrection that we talked about a minute ago. So we got a resurrected life with a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ in a resurrected world. Now, we don't fully know the resurrected life yet. We got new life in Jesus, but the, but the final piece of that, that, that's one day. We don't have resurrected bodies yet. And this is not the resurrected world yet. But there's one thing that has been resurrected. Which one? Christ. Yeah. So what if we take a look at I mean, Jesus' resurrected body. He dies and he is raised to new life. When you look at Jesus after the resurrection, it is so cool. There is some earthy, what I call earthy images that go with that resurrected body, some physical things, like the fact they could touch him. They could touch him. In other words, he's not a ghost. Resurrected body is not being a ghost. They could touch him. They could reach out and, and even right touch his side and, and touch his hands. How about the fact that Jesus ate fish? He ate fish. Resurrected body. How about the fact that Jesus had a barbecue on the beach with his friends? That sounds heavenly to me, right? Especially at two degrees. Barbecue on the beach with his friends, right? He cooks up some food. They, they enjoy it together. We got these very earthy, physical, like pictures of this resurrected body that you, that you can touch and eat. And, and yet, there's also the picture of this resurrected body that there are times they are walking along beside him for a ways, and they don't realize it's him until he says it's him. And then there is the fact that he can like just show up, and then suddenly he's gone. And there's the whole, remember the whole door thing? Where he walks through a locked door. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. So how do we put that together? How do we put the whole physical part? You could touch him and he could eat and yet he could walk through a door. How do you put all that together? Well, let's do a little armchair physics, all right? A little armchair physics. I guess we did pre-calculus. We, we can do some physics, all right? We know that when a substance or matter, when they come against each other, let's say you decide to punch a wall, right? When, when the matter touches matter, when substance comes in contact with substance, we discover which thing is more dense, right? 
you're saying that's really easy. Anybody who will punch a wall, they are dense, right? That, that's what you would think. But you understand what I'm saying? We find out what, what has greater density, what has greater weightiness to it. And if they are close to the same, when that matter comes against matter, it might just bounce off. But when one is a severe difference from the other, it will give way. When you punch the wall, it's likely something could break. You're going to say the wall's going to break. I'm going to say you might break, right? But it's going to show which has more density. It's going to show which has more weightiness to it. When Jesus meets the door, which one gives way to the other? He walks right through it. And I think we have this tendency to go, well, it's because he's ghost-like. Hmm? He, he's already said, look, you, you, can, you can touch. He can eat. I'm saying, what if it's the other way around? What if it's the other way around? What if Jesus, in a resurrected body, is more real than the door? I'm saying, what if, what if the resurrected world is more weightier than this one? What if this world is like a ghost compared to that one? Now, I understand I'm stretching you here, but guess what? Heaven's going to stretch you more than you can imagine. C.S. Lewis gave us an image in a book that he wrote called The Great Divorce, where he describes this time when people go to heaven, and when they first get to heaven, the grass is uncomfortable to, to walk on. And the reason is because the grass in heaven was more real than they and they had not yet acclimated to that place that was that was weightier that place that was more real i'm saying if our glorified body is like jesus glorified body first of all how much fun is that going to be how much fun is that going to be that whole ability to move between the holy city that comes down and a new earth that come on aren't there some absolutely beautiful places on this planet I mean, aren't you just continually amazed when you search this globe and the pictures that now are accessible to you and you see the beauty of this thing? Can you imagine when it's all made new and there is no effect of sin on this planet whatsoever? How beautiful. What an adventure. You throw in a holy city that he's been preparing for us. You put that whole connection together, and then you have the ability to move, apparently, as, as Jesus was able to move. You are not going to be bored in heaven. How incredible this is going to be. The concept that there is greater weight to some things is very common in Hebrew thought, all the way back. And so this word, weight, the Hebrew word that's connected to it, we're going to teach you some Hebrew today, is the word kabod. 
kabod. Now in Hebrew, you wouldn't say it like a B. You got to get that going. So it's kind of a V sound. It's like kavod, kavod. You got to let it kind of rasp and you got to spit on somebody when you say it. Kavod, kavod. But when this Hebrew word is translated for us in our Bibles, the word is glory. Glory. Which takes us to the second huge aspect of what we hope for. Our hope is not just resting in a resurrected life with a resurrected body, with the resurrected Christ in a resurrected world. But it also rests in this aspect of glory, that which is weightier. That, it's the fullness of something. It's the greatness of something. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to Revelation 21. Let's read verse 10. Verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, there it is again, coming down out of heaven from God. Same picture. It shone with the what? With the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Now, wide, high, and long means it's what? It's a cube. It's a cube. It's 12,000 stadia high, wide, long. What's 12,000 stadia? We, we think it's about 1,400 miles. So 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long. That translates to about 2 million square miles. 2 million. Missouri is 70,000. Uh, India, I think, is about 1 million. So a city as big as twice the size of India. That's huge. And I think that's the main point. When we get there, is it going to be exactly 1,400 miles? I, I, I tend to read it like it says it, and, and I think that's what it's going to be. It'll be interesting when we get there. But I think the point is this thing is going to be so much bigger than any city you can imagine. I mean, come on, we're blown away by cities today that have 20 million people in it. And we're like, ain't no way I'd live in that city, right? 20 million people. And, and we're talking about 2 million square miles of city. Streets that are gold. Talks about the foundations and the walls. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. Let's go to 22. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Here we go again. For the glory of God gives it light. 
and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. We'll come back to that. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's talk glory for a minute. Let's talk glory for a minute because it's a part of the hope that we have. When we talk glory, what's involved in that? Well, we know God is, all right? That's just a given. When we talk glory, we absolutely know that God is a part of that. There is nothing greater, right, than him. The, the weightiness of who he is, the greatness of who he is, that is the point of everything. I, I tell you this often. God is all about his glory. He's all about his glory. That's why his glory is what we're about. This is, this is where it starts and finishes. But we also know that there's glory for us. We've already talked about a glorified body. We've already talked about this, this resurrected life. That Now, all that is from God, and it's going to be pointed back toward God. So it's not about us just taking the glory for ourselves. We're, we're going to be pouring it back. But there is glory for us as we are made fully alive, as his light shines on us. But what I want to hang out with for a minute is it says the glory and the honor of the nations. Did you get that? I mean, this place, right? The, the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. It's like, what in the world does that mean? I think we have a tendency to view this world sort of like culture bad, church good. That's how we view. Culture bad, church good. Now, I do think there are certain pockets of culture that are bad. There are. Because culture is made up of people. And people are broken. And so broken culture comes out of the broken places in us. But it is also true that there are parts of culture that we live in that are good, even beautiful. How can that be? It's because we're made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And so when our lives are entrusted to him, when, when we begin to, to, to do what we do for his glory, there are moments, there are things that, that even we can produce made in the images of God that are good. Your family is good. Even your work can be good. They are beautiful things. And I think what this is referring to is that God in his power certainly has the ability to reject all that is dark, all that is broken, all that is corrupt. And he has the ability to then take in all that is beautiful and all that is good that has been created because he has worked through you made in his image. In other words, maybe I'm convinced, again, because I think we have this thing, we think we got it so figured out. In heaven, are there going to be some amazing things that have come out of culture, that have been created, God-given ability, God-given purpose, like, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know, but like, 
Could the stained glass windows from the cathedrals in Europe possibly make it to heaven? Because how beautiful. Have you ever seen those? Even pictures of them and the creativity and the greatness, the beauty of all that. Could could God possibly go, let's just hang these right here, but we don't need any sun because he's going to light them up. Okay, that'd be cool. Like, could the best from each culture be a part of the glorious part of what this is going to be as he brings it in, like, like certain cultures, like maybe it's going to be food from certain cultures. I'm convinced that means Cajun food will be there. But what if the best from Asian culture and the best from Arab culture, the best from every culture, what if, what if these aspects, I, I don't, I'm just saying, it says the glory of the nations will be brought in. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And you are not going to be bored in heaven. I bring that up because anybody remember growing up, hearing like Bible studies on heaven and what you walked away from, and maybe you were a kid, all right? You walked away thinking heaven is going to be a forever lasting church service. Come on, anybody ever have that image along the way? You may not have it now. I'm not throwing, but anybody ever got that? You walked away from church going, hmm. It's going to be an everlasting church service. (laughs) And you couldn't be ugly about it, right? You you can't really be like unspiritual about that thing, but you go home going, hmm. Especially as a kid, right? Because as a kid, you, you grew up, Right, and you wanted to get out of church to go home to actually listen to the kind of music that you like to celebrate with, right? So you still do that, all right? But that's that's what you did, or you wanted to go home to ride your bike on the trails in the woods behind you with your friends because that's a blast. But you had to, but you had to like sit in church and be still, right? And you didn't get to go ride your bike and have fun if you, if, you, if you didn't be still, right? Or maybe it was to go home to play with your dog. I'm saying whatever it was, as a kid, you're going, it's a never-ending church service. Which often leads us, I think, we grow up and we still, in our culture, tend not to think a lot about heaven because we tend to like some things about here. And it sounds like the big reward is letting go of all this and sitting in a church service for all of eternity. And man, my prayer is, I hope you actually read your Bible and I hope that you're getting at least a little bit today that it is so much better than this. I'm telling you, we don't comprehend, first of all, what it means to be face-to-face with God. We don't get it. We don't know that yet. We're going to look back and go, oh my, if I'd have just known then what this means to, to be in a place face to face with God. To, to, to know we get to do that on a new earth, a new earth, right? No effect of sin. How beautiful is it going to be? How much adventure 
to be able to explore this amazing city that Jesus has been preparing for us. And the streets really are gold, right? And, and he talks about the houses and, and just the place that we will have together, how beautiful it's going to be. To be able to explore all that in a brand new body that doesn't hurt anymore, that is not limited like this one is limited And to be able to reign over it all with God, it is going to be an ultimate fulfillment, an ultimate joy, an ultimate peace that I'm telling you, you put anything of this world that you think is ultimate. And when you get there, you're just going to be blown away. We got hope. It is hope in resurrection. It is hope in glory. And then let me just finish with one more text. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The last image that I want to give you, not just resurrection, not just glory, but it's a feast. It's a feast. Here, it's the wedding supper of the Lamb, and there's a whole bunch of history that's connected to that. I'm not just picking it because of this one moment, but how often um, Jesus would connect a meal, a feast, to teach about the kingdom of God. And even God, all the way back to the beginning, he would attach feast to the significant things that he was trying to show his people. When I think about the feast that is going to be in heaven one day, I think about one, abundance, abundance. The riches of God sustaining us, I'm telling you, it is going to be in a fulfilling way like you have never known before. Second, I think relationship. Because when you think about eating together, you think about feast, it's not just about the food, right? It's about relationship. In any organization, in any business, in any office, if you want to know who likes whom, you know what you watch for? Who they eat with. You can't just look at who has to work with who because that can be determined. You can't just look at whose desk is beside whom because that can be determined. But when it's lunchtime and you get to go eat, who they eat with will tell you who is most connected. And we are told there will be a feast. This picture of heaven, it is a feast. An abundance of relationship And the last word is diversity. Diversity. I think it's funny how the jokes about heaven um, usually involve a gate, right? And who's always at the gate? St. Peter is always at the gate, right? I don't know how he always got the gate spot, but he does. He is at the gate. And and you get the, the feeling that the door is shut or it's like at least cracked open just a little bit so you can kind of see what's inside. And you only get to pass 
through the gate, right, if you like pass the riddle, right, if you answer the questions right, if you, right, whatever the joke is, it's always this imagery of the gate is shut and Peter is standing guard and you got to have the right information to get in. And I'm just reminding you that what we just read in scripture is not the picture of one gate. It was how many? Twelve. And there were three on the north, and there were three on the south, and there were three on the east, and there were three on the west. And otherwise, in other words, there are gates on all sides so that every people of every nation might enter in. This is not a city trying to keep people out. This is a city that's built for the purpose that all might come in. All who would put their trust in the Jesus who built it for us. Jesus said when the good news of his death and resurrection had been communicated to every people, every people group across this planet, then what's going to happen? He's coming back. Why does he want it told to every people group? Because he wants them there. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Resurrection, glory, and feast. If that's true, if that's true, what difference does it make? Well, the difference it makes is that the greatest thing you could do is to open your heart to Jesus now. Come on, if that's the hope of where we're going, then the greatest thing you can do is to open your heart to Jesus now. Which team are you on? It says it's for those who believe, those who entrust their life to him. In a few minutes, we're, we're going to respond together to, to what we're celebrating today. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus, hey, I'm inviting you to do that today. You can do it right where you're seated. You, you can simply open your heart and ask him. But you know what? I'll be right down front here. We'll be down here in a moment. And, and you can come. People will be moving around the room. I'll explain that in just a second. There's an opportunity for you to come. I would be honored just to help you to open your heart and to trust him. And to leave here today knowing what team you're on. If all this is true, resurrection, glory, the feast, this whole picture of heaven, then the other greatest thing you could do is that you would open your hearts to others around you. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And what we all know is that we have this tendency to live such isolated lives. We make the mission about us being comfortable at times. We hesitate to risk to love. We say we know this, and we do, but when the opportunity comes, if hurt is possible, sometimes we push away. When the opportunity comes, if it looks like we will be inconvenienced, we, we push the opportunity away. I, I mean, come on, it's hard to get people to commit to anything today because something better might come along in the next 10 minutes. And it's like, oh my goodness, if this is true, then we should commit our lives to loving people around us no matter what it costs us, no matter what the inconvenience might be, the risk of loving. If all this is true, then we should invest in the weightier things now.
instead of sometimes so much superficial. I would encourage you, you know, with the people who are around you, there's nothing wrong with saying you look nice. A little compliments goes a long way, right? You look nice. You should do that for the people around you every once in a while. But I want to give you one even weightier. When's the last time you told the people around you, you love well? You love well. I mean, you look nice, that, that's good. But you love well, that's weightier. If all this stuff is true, we should look for the weightier things that I see God's glory in your courage. I, I see God's glory in your serving. I see God's glory in your sacrifice. Because remember, in order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a prerequisite. And the prerequisite is death. And hoping in this life involves laying down our lives and we find our deepest meaning when we serve like Jesus. In the end, Jesus wins. Anybody figured out in the end, God's going to deal. God is going to deal. He's going to deal with evil. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with injustice. And he's going to deal with your wounds. Which team are you on? We're going to wrap up this series. We're going to wrap up this year by spending some time at the tables together. Today, we're going to end our time celebrating what we often call the Lord's Supper. And the elements are located at the tables in the back. Um, what we believe is that Jesus said, this is something that we do to remember what he has done for us. When we eat the piece of bread, it is reminding us of his body that was broken for us. When we drink the juice, it is reminding us of his blood that was shed for us. And so in just a few minutes, that's, that's what we're going to do. And I'm inviting all of you here who have put your trust in Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus, regardless of where your church membership might be. You may be uh, visiting with family today or whatever. I'm it's saying we're good with that. We believe this is a family of God thing, not a heart of life thing. And so if you've entrusted your heart to him, I encourage you to, to please feel free to take part in this together. The Bible says before we do this, we should examine our heart, right? Because this is not supposed to be just some flippant thing we do. It's supposed to be a moment where we examine our heart, and if there's anything that we know stands in contrast to what God wants our heart to be, that we call out to him when we say, God, help us. God, help us to make this right. God, help us to do this right. And then we take it together, trusting that his grace really does heal. So I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. And then after I pray, I'm going to invite you to go to the table. Now take your time. Take your time. Because there's people all around you. But as you move to the table, you, go with, you can go with your family. You go with a friend. Um, I, I go to the table. Get the bread. Get the juice. And then I encourage you to move away from the table. You can either kind of come back to where you're seated or you can find a spot in the room. It's okay. Everything's, you know, wherever you want to be. Step away. And then together... Eat the bread, and then together drink the juice. If you want to, somebody in that could just say uh, maybe a prayer of just thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Listen to me. It's not about right words. It's not about did you get all the process right. 
It's about remembering his broken body and his shed blood for you. And then let me give you this one last verse that we get from 1 Corinthians. I think it's so appropriate today. He says in chapter 11, verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what we're remembering. Until what? Until what? Jesus is coming back. And when he does, it will be life resurrected. It will be heaven glorious. And it will be the feast of all feasts. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. And then you can head to the tables. Once you're done there, if you just come back to your seats, we'll close it together. God, thank you for your word today. I thank you for a picture of what is to be. And God, it is so true. We admit it. We, we have this tendency to, to, um, <laughs> to equate heaven um, with even sitting in a room today. God, I, I am so grateful that what we are going to experience there, you just, it is so f- much further beyond God, I think what even our minds can start to imagine, I think that's why John just at times struggled so much to, to have the words that you gave him words, but it just, you, you can just feel it in him trying to describe something so otherworldly. God, thank you for the hope. God, what we know is that that should change. That should change how we walk in this present world. God, there are some of us in this room today who need to say no to some things because it is pushing us away from your heart. And there are some of us in this room who need to say yes to some things that you are directing us toward and we've been pushing back because it's, it's inconvenient or because it feels like it might hurt God today as we remember the broken body and the shed blood that was given for us. May it lead us to a faith, to a love that acts. Thank you for loving us this much. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.